nestled on the western edge of Port Phillip Bay, an hour and a half's drive from the deadly intrigues of Melbourne, lies Gateway City, the hub of the region. G-Town. The last four decades, an uneasy peace has existed between the Anarchs and Camarilla in G-Town. Their borders meeting on Bruce Street in the very centre of the city, the two sects divide the domain neatly in two. The native Anarchs, consolidated in the industrial north, have learned to tolerate Prince Aveline and her Camarilla invaders, and she in turn grants all Anarchs the right to hunt and conduct business in her waterfront domain. Anarch rabble-rousers and Camarilla traditionalists each afford their counterparts reluctant respect. Until now. Word from Melbourne has reached the kindred of G-Town. Prince Squizzy wages a war on three fronts against a newly reorganised Anarch faction, Sabat Infiltrators and the Onslaught of the Second Inquisition. As refugees from both sects flood into Gateway to escape the oncoming chaos, local tensions flare, and the truce that has maintained peace since 1983 will be pushed to its limits. Welcome to Lords of G-Town, a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat Podcast, with music by Kevin McLeod, White Bat Audio, Ivan Duch, and Jaxius Music. Now, the sun sets on the city and the blood stirs. Let's see what horrors the kindred face this night. Welcome back to G-Town, everyone. Your unlives are on the line. Barry Lovelace, the leader of the Lovelace Pack, and wannabe warlord of the Waterfront, will declare a blood hunt on one of you of your choice. Two nights from now, you're to hand up one of your own as the culprit of the murder of the Alvis impersonator in Sip Sip Hooray 20 years ago. Or try to find the real culprit and clear your names. And of course, you've chosen to do the latter. You've made some good progress and you have some theories starting to percolate in your brains, but there's a ways to go. You need hard evidence. And you need to make sure, whoever you finger, that it's not going to come back to bite you in the ass. So. Here we are. Part two of Who Killed the King. January 2nd, 7.01pm. You wake early enough 
to see the last muted orange dregs of sunlight slink below the horizon. The roads are full of cars hurrying home and the streets spotted with those unfortunate enough to have to catch a bus. The new year seems an awful lot like the last. The good news! You've hopefully made some progress in the investigation and or are in the process of backstabbing each other. The bad news? Alvis is trending on Twitter. He's also on the news. Photos of the demolition workers posing with the body of the mummified performer have leaked and caused a lot of outrage and jokes. Mostly jokes, but outrage too. The police have made a statement that boils down essentially to not our fault and the city council has yet to comment. Everyone else though, they're talking. Social media is alive with the news. The king is dead. Again. And as you awaken tonight, as the blood begins to course through your fetid veins and animate your bodies, I'd like everybody to do a hunger check for me, please. I get hungrier. Cross gets hungrier. So does Tig. So does Tig. Valerie weathers the storm. She is not hungrier. She is not hungrier. That leaves Mitch and Bouncer. Oh, Vincent's wondering how to do it. Ah, oh, Vinny. Uh, yep. So, Vinny, to make a hunger check, it's just a rouse check. A D20. A D10, sorry. A success means you do not get hungrier. Yes, I had a success, so he is fine. Yeah, yeah. So, Mitch is fine. No extra hunger tonight. And Bouncer? Uh, the fail on my end. Yeah. So, Bouncer, Tig, and Cross all get hungrier. What's your hunger at, guys? Two. Two. Yeah, two. Two. Everyone else at one. Or two, because I think um, Mitch at least got hungrier from a discipline use last session. But no one's at hunger three or writer, or higher, am I correct? That is correct, for as I know. Yeah. Alright, so. Yeah, that's correct. Good position to start the night. So, Cross, please describe your haven for me, for the group. It's pretty bare, and it's pretty functional. Uh, Cross's haven is an abandoned warehouse that it found one day, uh, while just sort of wandering, searching for things to keep it interested. And... Cross is mostly holed up inside one small storage closet inside that warehouse. Uh, it's surrounded by everything it might need, but that's about it. Yeah, there's, uh, so... There's, there's I, I a, assume, a mattress, at least. There is. There's also a surgery that it's constructed. A very simple one. Really just a table and some scalpels it found. Um... And it has a postern as well. Um, there's a there's a little pathway to get out without being seen. So this old shipping warehouse is somewhere in the vicinity of Port Shaw, one of the northern industrial suburbs of G Town. A stone's throw away from 
Cowie's Bay and the old harbour that used to serve this region until a bigger one got built down by the waterfront. And as you awaken tonight, Cross, as you rise from the mattress that's just lying on the concrete floor, the first thing you register is the sound of metallic rattling at the storage locker door. As you make your way over, grip the doorknob and pull the door open. A horrible, flat, bestial animal cry greets you from the darkness beyond. Some sort of mockery of a cat's meow filtered through decayed vocal cords and a half-rotted nervous system. And out of the darkness crawls a cat. A cat that's missing most of its fur. A cat with skin that hangs in patches over yellowed bones and leathery black chunks of flesh still clinging to the skeletal frame. It looks up at you with empty eye sockets and opens its mouth again. Around its neck is a tattered leather collar and rolled up and stuffed under the brim of the collar is a shred of white paper. Hmm. Hey there. Cross is going to uh, first look at the collar. Well, first actually Cross is going to sort of offer a hand to the cat, just to sort of say hello. Hold out your hand, and just as a living cat would, it leans forwards and bunts. Face feels soft and damp like slime, and as it withdraws its face, it leaves powdery residue on the edge of your finger, microscopic shreds of rotting skin and flesh that have broken off its face. Slide your finger under the collar and pull free the paper. And as this dead cat stands in the doorway and watches still, you unfold it and you find what is what you recognize as a message sent by your sire it's not handwritten it's typed and it's formatted like an old forum post complete with signature and avatar in the top left corner 
his username, Mort. It's short, sweet, and to the point. I heard you did the job for Sam Stokes' coterie. Well, I'm ordering you to stick with them, at least for the time being. I owe Sam a favour, and she knows that you're useful, and having one of us in league with the console, well, that'll lead to better things down the line for me and you. And it'll get the Giovanni off my back. Cross just sort of falls it away and runs to itself. Um, was there a name on the cat's tag? No! And in fact, you've never heard your sire refer to it by a name. Whenever he talks about it, simply referred to as the familiar. Hmm. Needs a name. I'm sure Cross has been affectionately calling it something. Let's call it Scraps. Scraps. So you kneel down and you ruffle the top of Scrap's head behind his... barely there ears, scraping away another shred of skin. He raises his tail, forms it into a question mark shape, and meows in full quotation marks again. Then he gives you one last glance with his empty eye sockets, turns, and stalks away into the darkness of the warehouse proper. See you then. And so, Cross, you've been given your orders. What you thought was only going to be a single night working with this coterie has turned into something more. You're told that continuing to work with this coterie will bring good things down the line to you and your sire. You're only six months dead, but... You're not dumb by any means. You're smart enough to understand, even at six months dead, that when benefits come to you and your sire, in reality that just means mostly your sire. But Mort has been good to you. Mort has brought you closer to death than you could ever be as a mortal. And you're thankful to them. And so you'll do this. So you gather up your supplies, your instrument kit, make sure you have everything that you need. Then you set out into the darkness, following scraps. Set about the night's business. Everyone else. The first thing you do after you awaken is check in with each other. You don't bother going through the rigmarole of setting up Zoom again. 
After all, you want to make sure that you're all at the same speed, and it's clear that Tig, at the very least, would be (laughs) missing out on about 50% of the conversation. So, going... going, Yeah, being generous. So, going against the standing orders issued by Prince Aveline, you simply pick up your phones... And before long, you're conferring about what moves you want to make this night. Two nights to go, tonight and tomorrow night. You'd better have answers and be ready to shore up with them by then, or one of you is going to meet final death. So, what's on the agenda tonight? So, Elaine... uh... Can I go first? Oh, yeah, go for it. Right. So Elaine uh, left me a note. Says, uh, says here, you need the unedited footage. Talk to Lucky or find it some other ways. That's all I had. Lucky? Who's Lucky? The... Uh, bartender, the owner of Sip Sip Hooray. Oh, lucky! Yeah. Of course. You spoke to her at the hospital, found her on her deathbed, but thanks to Tig, she's now got a new lease on life. Yeah, we also not... need to get her door back. We also need to check out that the councilman. Yeah, Mark Bradley, also known as Cleopatra, who was performing in drag on the night. Well, it seems like we'll have plenty of time to um, see Lucky uh, anytime we want, really, uh, considering, you know, how you helped her. Yeah. I don't know. A woman like that don't sit still. She got the chance. But we got her number, so, you know. So the unedited footage. It wasn't in the police station. You'd think if they possessed... The unedited footage that they would have had it right there with the rest of the materials for this case so you could pretty much rule out the police being a fruitful lead when it comes to finding the unedited footage it's possible lucky may know where it is but then again if she th- felt that it was useful and wanted to help you, she probably would have mentioned it when you were speaking to her. Councilman Mark Bradley seems to be a promising lead, and there are probably some other things you can try as well. Crawl on social media trying to see if you can dig up something about any of the people who were there that night might be in order, and... You recall Barry Lovelace talking about the other factions of the waterfront pushing for your heads. The Setites who own a gallery at the waterfront and a Bruja pack who hold court in the local tip. Well, since we need to see uh, 
uh, the counselor at some point. Uh, we should probably put that towards the end of our business schedule since uh, I have a sinking feeling that we'll spend a lot of time there and you might be a little bit uh, reticent to uh, letting us in. Mm. I feel like the least we can do is ask around. I have plenty of contacts in the reporting, investigative journalism and um, <clears throat> smearing industry who might know a little bit about this. Ears closer to the ground of those who have been coming out of the woodworks with something to say about Elvis, perhaps. Indeed, you do, Valerie. You have some contacts in the Addy that might be able to help you. At this point, with Elvis being on the news, the cat would be out of the bag. The cam would know about it at this point. So really, there would be no risk in approaching... Janine Small at the Addy, your editor and the main herald of the court to see if she could render any assistance. See, you see the thing with uh, killings and serial murderers and all sorts is that strange people come out of the woodworks claiming, oh, they knew the killer. Oh, they live next door to them. Oh, they have important information. But sometimes they actually do. It's quite hard to sift the uh, trash from the um, gems uh, in this specific industry, but if anybody knows, it'd be my contacts at the Addy. Yeah, good idea. Does anyone else have any potential leads you'd like to follow up on? Hmm, indeed. Orange hoodie. I have a feeling that the unedited footage might give us a um, bit of a leg up with that one. Yeah, but, if uh, you could actually, get your hands Cross, on it. Uh, in the in the edited footage, um, there was a quick glimpse of him entering. Is that all we could glean from it? Uh, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I wasn't expecting to be around you guys much longer, so I. Haven't really followed up on any of this. Well, I do have the footage on USB. If yeah. You can analyze it and see. I, I can take a look. I'm good at, good at this stuff. So, I will point out that when you watched the footage, there was no sign of the person in the orange hoodie. All you saw was yourselves enter and the victim and of course nobody emerged but if this orange hoodie figure is involved you have a feeling that the unedited footage might show him um so yeah mitch got the footage on a usb and crosses good enough with technology that if you'd like to examine that in detail you can they're not sure what you'd find exactly, but no, it never hurts to help. Cross also has four dots in investigation. Yeah, definitely. I'll so, take you take a look. Yeah. So, Mitch plugs the USB into his laptop and uploads the footage onto a Dropbox account and. Within 20 minutes, Cross is able to access it and is pouring through it. Cross, I'd like you to make either a wits 
plus technology or wits plus investigation check for me? That'll be wits investigation, which is four successes. Four successes. You quickly scrub through the footage, watching it speed by on ten times speed, and you determine that when put together, all of the footage from 12am the previous morning to 12am that night, New Year's Eve, it comes to a total of 23.58. One minute and 48 seconds is missing. That's exactly how much has been removed. You're also able to determine exactly when this time was lost. Based on what you've gleaned from examining the body, you understand that Elvis was most likely killed quite quickly. His body was exsanguinated when he was found, and when you examined him, you couldn't find any signs of blunt force trauma or anything like that that would suggest that his cause of death was anything other than indeed what it seems to be, complete exsanguination. And we won't go into why, Cross, but you shudder as you recall the knowledge of exactly how long it takes for a hungry vampire to quickly exsanguinate someone. You determined that his death would have taken perhaps no longer than 10 to 20 minutes. He was performing on the stage just before midnight and... Indeed, it would appear that's where the footage has been altered. About 10 or so minutes before midnight, meaning whoever entered and presumably killed him arrived at the bar at about 11.45 to 11.50. They probably hung around for 10 minutes, were there for the countdown to New Year's, and then when Alvis finished his performance and retired to the bathroom, they were there waiting. The footage doesn't continue past midnight, meaning that it's impossible to see who actually left that night. So the tampering was obviously to conceal the culprit entering the bar. Whoever did this is, uh, is paranoid, but not particularly smart. This is really sloppy. The fingerprints are all over it. You can tell when they altered the footage, exactly how much they deleted, and it all correlates with what you know. So after Cross finishes explaining what it found in the footage, it's at this point that 
Valerie, Bouncer, Mitch, and Tig. Your phones vibrate, and the exact same message flashes up on the screen for all of you. It's from Sam Stokes. It simply reads, WTF is Barry playing at? Just saw the news. Just found out what's going on. We need to talk. Meet me at 9pm, usual place. Uh, at least, Hang uh, on, I've got one least... of them uh, text to landline things. Uh, let me check it real quick. It goes off the air. <laughs> comes I think we back, all got one of those. Comes back about five minutes later. Understanding Sam's message. Eventually. So, the usual place that she refers to as a scenic overlook, a picnic spot on the waterfront above what's known as Eastern Beach. It looks down onto Cowie's Bay, and at night it's pretty much deserted. It's a perfect spot to meet and conduct business outside of the prying ears and eyes of mortals. And it served you well over the years. Getting there is no problem at all. But 9pm, it's about an hour and a half away. So you've got time to conduct investigations before then if you want to. Well, the last thing we want to do is keep Sam waiting. It seems like she's coming out to bat for us, so uh, we should definitely not keep her waiting. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to come with me to see um, see my contacts, uh, you'd be more than welcome to. But we will be against the clock a little bit. Hour and a half, not that long. A half, not that long, but still enough to get something done. Do you think I'll be useful, or are you better off without me there? So I'm not sure no... what would be useful. I've got no could, idea could how to look for unedited footage, so maybe I'd be best off accompanying you. Yeah. If anybody else wants to come along, uh, now's your chance to say. Yeah. Yeah, Mitch, you're a, you're a cam vampire, so you're not particularly uncomfortable about paying Val's contacts a visit. It'd be fun. I can teach you uh, the ways of the journalistic world. You know, rub shoulders with some very important people, or that sort of thing. Never mind, I'm out. Fox would really rather do something more direct, but uh, it'll go if it has to. Okay, so Cross, Teak... Bouncer, what's on the agenda for you guys? I'll, I think I'll, I'll meet you there. I'll see if I can't hit up some of my own contacts. Yeah, good idea, Bouncer. Cross, Tig, you guys just want to maybe sit around your haven, see if you can conduct research over the internet or something, and then meet up when it's time to see Sam? I don't know, Tig's inclined towards the internet, but that's what Cross would be yeah, doing. That's what Cross default. will be doing, yep. Tig, uh, how about you? Valerie, are your contacts very important people? Oh, it depends on who you ask. Uh, Jeanette's uh, no, quite sorry, infamous. I meant Bouncer. Bouncer. Hmm? Are your contacts very important people? That's a good question. I haven't heard about your contacts for Bouncer. I mean, similar response. Depends who you ask. They're very <laughs> important to me. 
Alright. Eh. You want backup? Oh, nah. I mean, I'm not going to stop you from coming, but there is a reason I have this nickname. <laughs> I'll also point out I'll also point out that Tig and Bouncer, as you're both Anarchs, you do have the option of, you know, just hitting the local Anarch haunts and seeing if anyone knows anything of interest. You also have you know the what? option of contacting your sires. Well, Tig does. Bouncer's sire skipped town not long after she was embraced. Actually, that's not a bad idea, since this is a gangrel pack making a move. I better not let Bunyip know what's going on. That's what I'll do. Yep, so you'll go pay a visit to Bunyip. Alright, actually, um, Tig, since this is more of your wheelhouse, if you can find out anything more about what Barry might be up to, uh, that would be incredibly useful, actually. So I can look to the um, more mortal social side of things, but uh, not really into the gangrels at all. Yeah, definitely right. got idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now Tig's voice is a, a lot more cheerful now. Alright, yeah, that's something I can do. Uh, we'll go and do that then. Good plans, guys. You sign off. And, and I'll meet you at Samantha's thing. Meet you at Samantha's thing. And then you all sign off and step out of your havens into the humid summer night as you begin your inquiries. So we'll start with Cross. Cross, you're hunched over your desk in your laboratory, your face illuminated by the soft greenish glow of the laptop screen. And you've tasked yourself with grubbing the internet for every bit of information it will yield. Do you have any particular line of inquiry in mind? Hmm. Um. So, just to refresh with the video we looked over. Yep. Uh, there was a very specific point of time at which Where, yeah. it was removed. Approximately 10 minutes before midnight. 10 minutes before midnight. Exactly 1 minute 48 seconds was deleted. I will provide you with two possible lines of inquiry which Cross would have thought of with its intelligence. It's unlikely you'll be able to find the original footage on the internet. There's probably a physical tape somewhere, but you have no hope of finding it on the internet. But, you can run some internet searches, and two that stick out in your mind that might possibly be worth checking out is either searching the social media profiles of some of the people who were there that night. Now, there's one person that you know of Cleopatra, also known as Mark Bradley, the counsellor. You have his real name and his stage name, and that would be a good start. Alternatively, 
You're really well versed, Cross, in delving into all sorts of obscure and macabre lore. And you figure it might be interesting to search the internet for perhaps other similar cases that have occurred in G-Town over the years. There might be something in them that links to this one. I imagine Cross would be more interested in following something that, yeah, it's curious about. Um, so I'm leaning toward the latter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's look into that first. I'd like you to make an intelligence plus technology role for me, please. Four successes. Four successes. Unfortunately, violence and murder don't seem to be too uncommon in G-Town. As you start digging through news articles from over the last 20 years, you actually find a lot of odd disappearances and suspicious deaths across. The earliest, Ruby Crawford. Date of death, 18th of March 2000. Ruby was killed in her own home. Her neck ripped open. Police reports suggest an animal attack. You investigate a little further and learn that Ruby was involved with a lot of get-rich-quick and pyramid schemes, none of which seemed to work out for her, and at the time of her death she was known to be in considerable debt. The next you uncover is Sun Suk Lee, who, on 31st November 2002, was found in her car. She was stabbed in the neck. Bizarrely, her death was labelled as a suicide. Further information on her reveals that Sun Suk lived a life of opulence and also died in significant debt. In January of 2005, an unidentified John Doe washed up on Eastern Beach. His throat was slashed open and his body drained of blood. It was another assumed animal attack. On 8th of December 2009, a rugby player by the name of Jeremy Hark, the most high-profile person on this list so far, was killed in an alleyway on the waterfront, his throat cut open and his body badly hidden behind a dumpster. There seems to be a deliberate attempt to make it hard to find any reliable information about Jeremy Hark's killing. It looks like it was a masquerade breach that was covered up by someone with technical skills. Any information beyond what you're able to read in old news articles, anything beyond the surface has been scrubbed from the internet. The next on the list is Muhammad Osman, who, on the 2nd of August 2011, was killed in his home. He was found by his cleaner the next day. It was assumed to be a burglary gone wrong. He was known to put large sums of money on horse races. The final person that you managed to dig up information on is a man by the name of Michael Angiopoulos, who on the 18th of November 2018 was killed on his way to work. His throat ripped open, his body drained of blood. His wife was eventually arrested for his murder 
and is serving a life sentence. Further investigation reveals that Michael was in deep debt after several failed business attempts. Okay, so whoever covered up for our rugby player almost certainly didn't do the cleanup job that we're looking at with the tape here, if they managed yeah. to actually scrub a good amount yeah. of info. So it's a good, it's a good, ch- there's a good chance that you can probably strike Jeremy Hark off that list as being probably one murder that was not related to the others. Or at the very least, uh, the person who covered it up wasn't. Yeah, the wasn't the same yeah. person. Would Price you like... probably find the... Uh, go yep. on. I was going to say, is there anything else you'd like to search about any of these people in particular? I think Cross would be uh, just... They would they would find themselves drawn to uh, the quote-unquote suicide. Yeah. Sun Suk Lee, go ahead. You're now digging deeper into the internet than before. You're digging beneath the surface, beyond old news articles and obituaries. You're having to scour the bottom of the barrel. Web sleuths, threads, forum posts where armchair detectives theorise and speculate about people's lives and how they met Horrific ends. Go ahead for me and make a resolve plus technology roll. That's four successes. Four successes. So, Sun Suk Lee, according to the information you dig up, and this is all hearsay, taken from old forum posts and live journals and none of it is credible or cited in any credible way was apparently the heiress to a Hong Kong industrialist and scuttlebutt around her life suggests that there was a disagreement between her and her father and at some point he disowned her cut her out of the will and essentially left her without a constant feed of passive income to help sustain her very opulent lifestyle. So she did what any young rich person who has no sense with money would do. She turned to borrowing copious amounts of cash that she could never possibly pay back. And one post made by someone who claims to have been friends with her, states that she owed approximately half a million dollars to various different debtors by the time of her suicide, and she had started to receive threatening phone calls claiming to be people coming to collect on her debt on behalf of her debtors. Interesting. Um, considering that this is all in line with neck wounds, it might it might cross cross his mind uh, that that sounds a little bit ventrally. Yeah. Um, okay. 
So, Cross, Go on. there is something that is specifically relevant to you as a he- as a Hekata. And that is that you have the ability to get information about these people that most others could not. Assuming you know where these people have been laid to rest, you could simply go to their graves and ask them. Yes, indeed, that was my next thought. Um... Uh, can you just very quickly run me through um, the rest of the victims again? Yeah. So, the rest of the victims. Ruby Crawford, who was killed in her own home, her neck ripped open. She was involved with pyramid schemes and get-rich-quick schemes and was in debt at the time of her death. A John, a John Doe, who was washed up on shore, drained of blood. No information about him because his name is unknown. Muhammad Osman, who was known to put large sums of money on the horse races. There's no information about the exact way in which he died, simply listed as a burglary gone wrong. And Michael Angiopoulos, who was killed on his way to work in an alleyway, his throat ripped open, and he was deeply in debt after several failed business startups. Okay. Yeah, that's sounding awfully venture. I would like to find info on the person we didn't have any info on. Yeah, the, the John Doe? Yeah, our John Doe. So this will be very, very difficult. Go ahead, make a resolve plus investigation check for me. Oh, one success. I'm going to re-roll. Yeah, re-roll. Willpower. Two successes. Two successes. You search for about an hour, digging through the most obscure sources of sources of information that you can find and you find speculation that he was perhaps a gangster a gambler who went missing around the time his body was discovered okay that's what simply get. listed as he simply listed as dylan with no last name given and there's absolutely no basis in why they would connect this identity with this man, but people are speculating based on the fact that he was thrown in the ocean, that he was a gangster who got in trouble due to a gambling debt. Or something like that. Okay, that uh, definitely, like, 100% confirms the financial link. Yeah. Um, okay. Cross is going to want to follow uh, up on our suicide, as it were. Yep. So it's very easy to find an obituary for Sun Suk Lee, and you appear to be in luck. Given the relationship we had, she had with her family at the time, she was not sent home to Hong Kong and was instead laid to rest in the old G-Town Cemetery by the waterfront. Some of her friends that she'd made in her time within the city pulled their money together and paid for her funeral service. Yeah, okay. Um... I would like to find, yeah, that she's buried and, and talk to her. Yeah. Yeah, alright. So, yeah, so she's at the old town, 
old G-Town Cemetery. It's a big enough, it's a big enough place. But you should be able to find her just from walking around. So you shut the lid on the laptop, pull out your phone and summon an Uber prepared to follow this woman beyond the veil. We now cross over to Mitch and Valerie. You climb out of Valerie's Uber, parked on the curb on the edge of Bruce Street, the big main street that runs through downtown, and find yourself staring up at the Addy office, the office of the G-Town Advertiser, or affectionately referred to by the locals as simply the Addy. It's a big red brick triple story monstrosity that is built in perhaps the most striking example of what you would call early 20th century urban eyesore. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> There's a faded billboard hanging up on the roof advertising something to do with the football. You can just vaguely make out the logo of the G-Town cat. And as you head over to the front door, you find, thankfully, that the receptionist is still in. She hasn't decided to shut down early tonight, and as you step inside into the lobby and the bell rings, the woman looks up from the magazine she's reading, A Woman's Day, her feet up on the edge of the reception desk. Oh, oh Val! Val, she says. You're in early tonight. Usually, uh, usually I'm on my way out when you turn up. Do I recognize this person? Yeah, this is Cindy. She's the day receptionist, and you don't know her that well because usually, like she said, when you turn up, she's on her way out. You usually pass her in the door. But she knows your name and face, and you know hers. She looks over at Mitch, and she says, Oh, I I'm sorry, I, I don't recognize you. Are, are you the new intern, perhaps? Valerie chuckles and um, gestures to let Mitch uh, declare his own presence before she decides to do it for him. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm Mitch, and no, I'm just a um, assistant of Valerie's for today. An assistant, says Cindy. Hmm. Well, you know, there has been talk about getting some interns, some cadet cadets in here to follow, to ghost some of the... Uh, well, Val, I'm sure when you're ready for it, you'll take someone on, but... I mean, as it would happen to be, we're chasing a very uh, possibly lucrative story, as it is. Uh, oh? Mitch is here to help me. Uh, yeah, actually, speaking of which, is um, Jeanette still in, or has she gone home for the day? Oh, Jeanette uh, arrived uh, about ten minutes ago. She said she's uh, very busy tonight. Uh, she's having a meeting with the chief of staff. Uh, something about uh, that policy that 
Bradley put in, you know, the thing with the potholes and uh, something to do with some guy who's funding him said uh, said she was going to take him down and uh, she left specific orders not to be disturbed by anyone. Uh, do I recognise the name of this person she's talking about? So, Mark Bradley would be the counsellor and... Oh, Mark Bradley, of course. Yeah, and he's been... He's been controversial for pretty much most of his tenure. You don't say. Um, could you let us in, please? Uh, we'll obviously be well-behaved and wait for her to finish up with our staff meeting. I've no, much uh, to discuss with her today. Oh, uh, sure, Val. Uh, just head up. You don't need to ask me. Uh, just as long as uh, Mitch here... Uh, doesn't uh, take any photos of any of the things yet to be published, or uh, you know. Oh no, I've I've uh, given him a quick rundown of everything. Don't worry, he'll be um, he'll be very well behaved. Uh, and Valerie starts to make off um, out the door. She normally takes um, to the elevators, and yeah. as soon as they're out of earshot, um, <laughs> she leans over to Mitch. Now I know she said not to do that, but. If you see any, like, really juicy stories or anything that's particularly interesting, do take shots, and I'll make it worth your while. The elevator! (laughs) You like, Mitch. The elevator lurches as it carries you up to the third floor. The offices of the senior reporters. You step out onto the newsroom on the top floor and find it utterly deserted. The lights are on, the computers are on, a TV hanging on the wall is currently listing off highlights from last night's New Year's celebrations. But the reporters and the chief of staff are not at their desks. The lights are on in the meeting room at the far end of the newsroom and you can just make out a silhouette that's just about the shape of Jeanette Small through the blinds, gesticulating wildly with her arms as she lays down to her staff how they're going to be handling the story she's working on. Well, Valerie has a um, has a routine that she's rehearsed beautifully several times this exact situation. Uh, it's the classic one too of lean up against the door and listen very acutely to what's going on. And as soon as the door opens, uh, make it to pretend as if you're just about to knock. <laughs> so I will ask Valerie to please go ahead and make for me a charisma plus performance check. If you turn on Fantastic. your ore, you may add that. You know what? That is a great idea. I'll activate all for that. Meanwhile, Mitch, what are you doing? You're gonna try to listen in as well, or are you gonna snoop around the desk? Just, just having a look. Um, yeah. So what was the um, what was the role against Ray? Performance. Uh, charisma plus performance. Charisma plus, performance. Plus your presence if you have or active. Beautiful. That's four successes. 
four successes, right. Okay, and Mitch, I would ask you to please go ahead and make for me a wits plus investigation check. One success. So as Valerie creeps towards the door of the meeting room, presses her ear up against it, you start circling around the newsroom, lifting up the papers on each of the desks, scrolling down the scrolling down the news feeds and word documents on the screens of the computers trying to see if you can glean any information relevant to what's going on the majority of the stories that the reporters are working on aren't related to what's going on with alvis they're writing about the upcoming footy game or summarizing the new year's festivities or doing the yearly look back at the city's notable events but there's one reporter and rifling through a stack of papers on their desk you find a scrap of note paper where they've written in shorthand sip sip hooray and it's underlined and there's a dot point list and it's got cleopatra april question mark search online goes by April Power. Photographs of night? Question mark? Meanwhile, Valerie's pressed up against the door and you can hear Jeanette's voice on the other side in the meeting room, muffled. Yeah, no, see, little known fact, Mr. Bradley used to B, a drag performer, and he was there on the night in question as Cleopatra. Now, I know this story's focusing on the thing with the potholes and his finances, but trust me, all this stuff about Alvis, you've got to tie the two together. Because the guy who's on Bradley's payroll is not going to like what I put in the evening edition tomorrow night. And furthermore, something you don't know about the victim that only I've been able to dig up, the guy had plastic surgery, okay? Now, an Alvis impersonator, gig economy, he doesn't have enough money to afford plastic surgery. And, you know, there's those rumours about he and Cleopatra being a thing, and... Yeah, I guess you could see where I'm going, right? Somebody had to pay for it. And... Ah! She stops and pauses and she says, I believe somebody's on the other side of the door and they're just about to... And as she says the word knock, you wrap your fist on the door just as it springs open and Jeanette Small is on the other side. Her 1920s lounge singer outfit is covered up by a long leather trench coat, her bombshell blonde hair tied up 
in a neat bun on top of her head. She smiles at you and winks one of her blue eyes knowingly. Val! Now you weren't listening in, were you, by any chance? Oh, not, not a chance. I was using my other senses. I could smell a story brewing. Whenever I smell a story, I know that you're, you're right behind the door. Just about to knock, because you had something important you wanted to tell me, am I right? Uh, on the contrary, I was hoping you might have something you could tell me. She continues, she steps forwards on her high heels and... raises her head, peering over your shoulder, scanning the newsroom. Vince, as you see her do this, will you have Mitch do anything? <laughs> Mitch turns around, he waves awkwardly at Val and Jeanette. Jeanette frowns. She leans forwards and whispers. You brought him here? Him? A Malkavian? Do you want the court secrets splurted out everywhere? Oh, he's trustworthy, don't you worry. He's my protege at the moment. I've seen him around court, she says. And then she smiles and she waves back at Mitch. Mitchell, a pleasure as always. Didn't know you had the nose for court intrigue. You know, I can have a nose for many different things and court intrigue happens to be one of them right now at this moment. Jeanette smiles and she says, okay then. A lot he of intrigue takes him. Yeah, as Malkavians tend to. I just hope he's not uh, running any of his little premonitions and trying to... Uh, trying on the Primogen's orders to find out what I'm cooking up for next Elysium. Her gaze lingers on Mitch for a moment, and then she says... Lots of court intrigue going around at the moment, most of it to do with that poor Alvis chap and the circumstances of his death. I presume that's why you're here? Ah, uh, yes, the one and the same. Uh... Obvious masquerade breach, she says. Yes, it is rather obvious, isn't it? And if the prince finds out, she's going to want the head of the one responsible. Uh, sh yes, she... Probably would, wouldn't you? And, she says, teasing out, trying to tease more information out of you, you wouldn't have come to me if you don't have some insider knowledge, I'll say, so spill it. You know that's not how this works. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo, she says. Alright. What do you need? All the dirt you can give me on Mark Bradley. We think dirt he might have some connection Bradley. to this beyond the uh, Queen of the Nile gig. Hmm, this could work, she says. I was planning on tapping one of the other neonates to organise a meeting with Mr. Bradley, but... Well, 
I know that you're good at what you do, Val, and I didn't want to have to owe you a boon to put you up to it, so... How about this? I'll give you the dossier I have. In return... I set up a meeting with the counsellor for later tonight, and you be the one who conducts the interview. I feel like there's more of a catch to it than this. There's one thing I want to know. There's a Ventru who's connected to him. Goes by the name... Dawkins. Elliot Dawkins. Now, it's thought this guy's got Anarch connections, and, well, the Primogen are a little antsy about him putting his fingers in local politics. And, well, it would be on the Ventru Primogen if indeed that ended up being the case, so I just want you to get proof from Bradley's mouth that Dawkins put up the cash for his latest push. For all those reforms he's currently got going through City Hall. Fining people for driving over potholes. What bizarre childish nonsense. Ah, I see. You're running an article tonight and you've already written it and now you need the proof. She winks. Yes! Think you could do it for me? Oh, it seems like a reasonable deal to me. I'll work my magic and you work yours. She reaches into her trench coat and hands you a ring-bound notebook. Everything I got on him is in there. Best of luck! She winks. Valerie just kind of um, rubs her hands together a little bit as she takes the um, takes the dossier and slides it into her. Um, into her blazer, just like on one of the inside pockets. As always, an absolute pleasure. I'll Mitchell, see you later she calls out. Don't be a stranger, love. And then she turns, heads back into the meeting room, and shuts the door. You gather up with Mitch, and you flip open the notepad and start to read the dossier about Mark Bradley. Most of it is stuff you already knew. That in the nineties he performed on weekends as Cleopatra. That he's had ambitions in government for quite some time, but there is one nugget of information you find particularly valuable, perhaps as a piece of juicy leverage. And that is... There's an outstanding arrest warrant from 1998. It's listed as being for, quote, a female impersonator known to dress as Cleopatra, Queen Victoria, and Queen Elizabeth II, wanted for questioning on multiple drug-related incidents. The matter was settled in court, apparently, outside, behind closed doors, and Mark never had to actually make good on the arrest warrant. He never ended up in cuffs. But, upstanding politician that he's trying so very hard to present himself as these days, if that got out in public, 
that would be a big blemish on his reputation. Mm, Valerie's going to file that away as something that um, Jeanette has given her as mm. uh, with with complete complete permission to use herself. So, it's her information now. Yeah, Valerie, Mitch, anything else you'd like to conduct here before you leave? Uh, Valerie's going to go over to the desk where all that information was found. Yeah, and Mitch wants. scour around and see if um, she can find any more information about April. Whether there's like a photo of her or anything like that, just to be 100% sure it's the person she's thinking of. Mitch shrugs as he tells you he's already searched through everything there, and indeed, there's no photograph, just a name. April, now going by April Power. It's possible it was the same girl who was there that night, especially as the word photographs is scrawled right under her name, but there is no picture. That'd be worth investigating in the future. Fantastic work, Mitch. So if you weren't a uh, professor, you could have very easily gone into journalism. <laughs> or at least my kind of journalism. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's based entirely on manipulating people. So as you... Appreciate the support. <laughs> oh, it's is nothing but a, uh, nothing but praise. It's easy for you, Mitch. All it is is peering through the massive variables and finding the ones that equate to what you're looking for. Gotta make right what you... Gotta make right what went wrong. So as you turn to leave the newsroom... We will swap over to Tig and Bouncer. We'll go with Bouncer first. Bouncer, tell me about your contacts. Who you're heading heading over to pay a visit to right now. Uh, so she's heading on her way over to the club she works at to meet up with who she affectionately calls the girls. Just some of the other girls she's gotten to know from working and see if they've heard any heard any rumours or gossip or anything that might lead them in the right way. Yeah. Don't know how this will work necessarily because I don't actually have any dots, but it is part of her story. Backway. It is part uh, of her backstory. backstory. Yeah, we'll deal with that. So, Pig's yeah. Ute rumbles along one of the one of the side streets on the edge of downtown and just here you say as the hulking behemoth rounds the corner and pulls up in front of club violet place where bouncer has worked for the last 20 years and am i right in assuming bouncer that this club also serves as well, no, it doesn't serve as your haven, <laughs> does it? Otherwise, you wouldn't have had uh, to go there. No. No. Um, so, Club Violet is... Well, the locals call it a brothel, but Bouncer, you don't really think of it in those terms. Club Violet is a classy establishment. It's not one of those places that flashes the word girls over and over on a neon billboard. It's a modern 
modern building designed by a proper architect with a proper degree and everything and the concrete structure that houses the club resembles a modern work of art in many ways. It definitely stands out from the dive bars and unlicensed tattoo parlours that line the street. The word violet glimmers in blue neon above the door and standing, climbing out of Tig's ute, your feet touching down on the concrete, you can hear the bass from inside. It's not a brothel. It's more like a nightclub. But it's an open secret that the girls will render certain favours in return for a specific fee. Tig, you coming in or you waiting in the car? I finished the last pull of bovine blood that I got from my herd before I shipped out, then give bounce to the eye. You want me along on this or no? Uh, it shouldn't be too long, so if you want to come in and have a drink while you wait, it's up to you. Uh, I'll come in. Yeah, don't think I'll have a drink, though. There's not much here to my taste. <laughs> Tig turns the key and the monstrous engine shudders and dies. And as you step out of Tig's you you notice that this old... 1980s Toyota is distinctly out of place among the modern sedans and station wagons parked along the side of the street. And Tig, am I right in assuming that you used your herd to go down to One Hunger after you awakened? You would be right in assuming yeah. that. And you might so want to sing Shambhala because it's a three-dog night. There's three canine yeah. faces watching us go. Yep, they're just sitting sitting in the back of the ute, poking their heads over the tail <laughs> tailgate, looking at you. So Tig, before you left tonight to meet up with Bouncer, pick her up in your ute and head out to speak to your Anarch contact, you decided to step out into the back paddock, step out of the farmstead and quench your thirst from your herd, your flock of sheep. And as you step towards the screen back door yeah. and Took open a fair it, amount from the cattle earlier, so now it's sheep time. Now it's sheep time, sheep tonight. You alternate from week to week, giving the cows a chance to recover, and then giving the sheep a chance to get back into shape. As you wrap your hands around the handle of the screen door, your wife looks up from the kitchen table where she's solving a That's Life crossword. She looks at you lovingly. She knows what you're about to do, and for a brief moment, your mind flashes back 20 years ago. The very first night when she learned what you are, learned what it is you do with the sheep behind the shearing shed, and that look of utter disgust that painted her pretty face, the way she looked at you as if you were a monster. You still shudder thinking about it. She understands now, of course. She can't not understand. She needs the blood herself. 
needs it to survive. And so she simply smiles, looks at you lovingly, and says, You don't take too much from Bess, love. She's been a bit weak since she had the calf. Oh. Right, Bess was with her when the calved. Nah, nah, sheep knight. Should be fine. As you push the door open and step out onto the veranda, the voice of your son calls from a bedroom at the very back of the townhouse. Oh, Dad! While you're out there, look after Eustace's hoof. Think he stubbed it on one of those rocks or something. Call him useless for the amount of stuff we have, for the amount of time we have to spend on him, not Eustace. Yeah, I swear to God, that one's the most been the most trouble. Which in TikTok means, yeah, I'll get on it. You pull yourself out of the reverie and begin to follow Valerie into the club. The bouncer, a brown-skinned man who's built like a truck, folds his arms over his black shirt and nods as you approach. Val, and, uh... Ah, ain't seen you around here before, and, uh... No offence, mate, but, uh... The dress code is a bit... more strict than what you're wearing. Oh, I'm going to be oh, yeah, around here yeah. long. I mean bouncer, not Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you ain't seen me around here before because I ain't been here before. I ain't going to be here long. He with you? He looks over at Bouncer. Uh, yes, don't worry, I'm just stopping in to have a quick chat. We won't be, won't be here for too long. I'm a ride. Asshole. The Bouncer nods and he says, Alright. Your friend of hers, one drink on the house. Only one, though. And only stuff from the bottom shelf. So VB and Foster's only. No cocktails, no craft beer. Got it? You gotta pay for that stuff. Oh, God. And Tig remembers what Samantha told him. Blush before they flush you. Yeah. So, I would like... I would like... uh, Bouncer, do you have... Do you have the eat food merit? Uh, not the merit, but because of hedonist, I am counted as being at humanity 10, which means I can eat yeah. food. You can eat food, yeah. So no yeah. blush of life required for you, but Tig, go ahead and make a rouse check for me. And he gets pinker, but simultaneously a little hungrier. Yeah. Your parched, weather-worn face, pale in the dim street lights flushes with blood as you step past the bouncer into the club and are overwhelmed with sensory information. The music blares doof, 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 as hundreds of people dance on the dance floor, dance floor merging together in a mass of flesh and sweat as they gyrate in time to the music. Here and there, the girls, ostensibly waitresses, dressed in dressed in clothing that leaves very little to the imagination, dart across the dart across from the dance floor to the bar and back, carrying trays of drinks and bowls of chips and nuts to patrons. 
Tig, what would you like to do while you're here? As Immediately you regret my own life choices. This is not his seat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, quietly asked for uh, fell out said said I oh, oh, should I, I get a free VB because I'm Bounce's friend because he's not going to turn down a free fucking beer. <laughs> the bartender looks Ever. over at Bouncer, frowning with a look that says, Really? Really? This don't seem like the kind of guy you'd be seen dead with. Then he nods silently, reaches under the counter, and slams a green can of VB on the counter. There you go, mate. He says. Cheers, mate. You crack it open and take a sip. Bouncer behind you smiles and then she turns and disappears into the crowd of people. Trying to find her favourite girls to tap for information. Bouncer, is there a specific girl that you're looking for? Uh, I don't think she's looking for anyone specific. It's more sort of, yeah. See if anyone's heard anything, and then say, or if they've heard that maybe someone's heard something, sort of thing. Yeah. So, Bouncer, I would like you to go ahead and make for me a Charisma plus Leadership check. And if you have Awe, you may add your presence. Not have Awe. Is a total failure. Total failure. Mm. You step out into the crowd and Too busy. The, the revelers disperse. Yeah. Do you want to use a willpower to re-roll? Uh, no, because I, I can only re-roll one die anyway. <laughs> yeah. So the revelers disperse to let you through and you catch the eye of several girls, motion for them to come and join you and they immediately drop what they're doing and follow you off the dance floor into a private booth along the edge of the establishment. <sighs> you sigh as you sit down, grab a drink off one of the girls' trays and take a sip. You ask them how the night's been, and they tell you it's been pretty alright, it's been busy. It's the night after New Year's Day, there's a lot of people in here, even for this place. So they've been busy, they've been on their feet and haven't really had time to sit down and shoot the shit. One of them tells you that although the night's been relatively uneventful, there was a man who came in about an hour ago. At first, he seemed to be a relatively normal party-goer. One of the girls, Jessica, shudders as she recounts how when the man saw her, he immediately made a beeline for her, wrapped his arm around her, groping her leg, 
and insisted in a drunken slur. I know you girls do here. You take me in the back room, girl. You take me in the back room. And how he didn't have any money. Didn't have any money to pay the requisite fee. And so he was quickly turned down. And although he didn't get violent, his response was to let loose with a tirade of gendered slurs, saying how, I ain't now got any more money since that cunt with the orange hoodie keeps fucking coming for me. I just want one more lay before he bashes my fucking head in. She frowns. I, I, uh... I asked if we could kick him out, but apparently someone else has paid his tab for tonight and, uh, well, he's ordering a lot, so uh, I've just spent most of the night keeping away from him, she finishes. Oh, so he's still in the bar, is he? She nods. Oh. She leans over the table and she points towards the dance floor and you can see him immediately. He stands out, he's wearing a baggy grey business suit, his tie is crooked around his neck and he's doing his best attempt at dancing, although really what he's doing is just wavering back and forth on the spot drunkenly, barely able to stand up. If you could have a talk to him and make sure he leaves well alone for the rest of the night, says Jessica, well, we'd appreciate it. We know you're there for us. Big sister. No, don't, yeah. Don't worry, I'll go and have a word with him. I think he might... I think I might have some questions for him now. <laughs> Meanwhile... Thank you, very helpful. As you stand up, make your way back to the dance floor, we'll go back to Tig. So Tig, you're about halfway through the can of VB. The bartender leans against the drinks cabinet, his arms folded, he's watching you curiously. So, mate, if you don't mind me saying, and no offence, this does not look like your scene. Yeah, it ain't. So why are you here, mate? <laughs> I mean, you what? look like you'd rather be at... He, he, he nods, then he leans can forward. can fucking hear you. <sighs> so what brings you to this neck of the woods? He makes his way over to you, leans over the counter, and he says, You look like you'd be more at home sucking down a six-pack while you watch the cricket. I would. But I'm Bouncer's ride to tonight. Helping her get around and do shit. Designated driver, he nods. Oh, shouldn't have given yes, you that. Yes, I am only on this fucking water. He says, hmm... Well, good, you know, part of me's relieved that Bouncer's not behind the wheel tonight, you know. What with all the stuff going on with the club and all, and... 
Huh? What's going on with the club and all? She's been kind of tight-lipped. He frowns, giving you a silent look that says, Oh, shit. And then he says, Oh, uh, right. I owe her big. I ain't gonna say nothing. Don't think the girls wanted Bouncer to know about this. Melissa, the owner, didn't want to bother Bouncer with everything she's got on her plate night to night and all, but, uh, well, look, if I tell you, you won't run your mouth to Bouncer, will you? Nope. He says, yeah, look, been a bit of trouble. One of the girls, uh, Lisa, I think her name is, uh, recently got the COVID, she did. So she was yeah. out of work for three weeks. Fell behind on her car payment, and uh, well, she must have put this place down as the guarantor on whatever loan she's got. Someone called up the owner, Lisa, some really nasty piece of work by the sounds of his voice, said if uh, Lisa or her guarantors did not uh, render payment within... The next two weeks, that he'd be sending along uh, a debt collector. Hmm. So, uh, Melissa paid the debt out of her pocket, and she's got Lisa on double shift to make up for it, but, uh, well, just a little bit creeped out by the bloke on the phone at all. Now, you'd think, you know, car loans and things like that. I say a banker calls you on the phone and you've got an idea in your head what he sounds like, right? Right. This guy... This guy was not a banker. He, uh... Well, uh... No offence, but, uh... From what Melissa told me, he sounded a bit like you, i got to say. Older bloke, gruff guy... Uh, not afraid to give someone a piece of his mind, and, uh, well, he said, don't know if he was meant to say this, but he said to her that he was working on a big project and he didn't have the time to fuck around, so if she could just kindly pay up or have the debt collector come and deal with it, she chose to pay up. Did he sound like this? And, bear, and uh, Tig does his best Barry impression. You know, it could have been something like that. Uh, sounded like a real piece of work is what he sounded like. You sure you don't want me telling Bounce about this? It sounds like something she's working on. Crooked deck collecting all. Well, look. I'll give you another drink if you promise not to, but... If you do, you didn't hear it from me, okay? I got you. Couple of the no girls offense, around mate, here. But, uh, huh? Couple of the girls around here like old blokes. One of them could have told you, let something slip. I'm sure not everyone's got the memo. Right. Okay. Tig looks at his wedding ring. Right. 
Yeah, he says, looking around, noticing for the first time just how scanty the girls are clad, going, oh shit. <laughs> you take the last sip of your can, slide the empty can along the bar, and nod once more at the bartender did, as you uh... get up. Yep. Hey, uh, last thing, did uh, he say who Lisa got that loan from? A name? Oh, uh. Yeah, uh, wasn't a bank. I can tell you that much. Uh, Lisa ain't in tonight, but she did say, wasn't a bank. Credit rating locked her out of that, so she went with some local mob. He taps his chin, trying to think. Nah, I don't think I got the name, but, uh, must have been shifty if this is who she's dealing with. It's really important. Could you call Lisa up and have her call, like, call Bouncer with the name? How important we talking? Tig sighs, reaches into his pocket, and pulls out five bucks. Well, Tig, go ahead to make a manipulation. Which in 1970 was a really good amount of money. Yeah, make a manipulation persuasion for me. <laughs> uh, it's really Could important to bounce it. He could manipulate. Could Two rouse dice. the blood to. Could rouse the blood to make yourself look a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, what jolly. the heck? Maybe it's the VBB talking. He's feeling his oats, and he's getting hungrier. Mm. <laughs> oh, this will be great. Hunger three. Hey, mm. three successes though. Plus. Three successes. The man stares with disdain at the five dollar bill. Then he takes it and he chuckles. <laughs> Tell you what, something about you. Can't quite put my finger on it, but you're an all right bloke. Look, all right. I know Lisa's number. Uh, got my break in five minutes. I'll give her a call. Tell her to get in touch with Bouncer or send a message or something. Thanks. Just like the name of the deck collector and any weird details. And, uh, it'll help her out. It'll help them both out. You know how it is. He nods. You got it. Right, I'm gonna go stand by the door now. As you Thanks, turn, man. as you wave at him, wave at him, and turn away, you see Bouncer making her way towards a grey-suited man on the dance floor. Bouncer, do you signal to Tig to get his attention, or are you gonna handle this on your own? Uh, nah. First thing, then you probably handle it on our own. Okay. You register Tig just standing awkwardly in front of the entrance, and then you climb down onto the dance floor, push through some of the revelers as the bass continues to pound, and step up towards the man in the grey suit as he wavers. He looks you up and down, he says, You're wearing a bit more than the other girls. <laughs> Well, depending on how our conversation goes, that might change. There's a chance to get you to take your pants off, he says, smiling the, smiling a smile of yellowed, broken teeth. <laughs> what do I gotta say to get you to take your pants off, love? There's 
spittle saliva running down over his bottom lip like a salivating animal. Yeah. I hear you've been having a little bit of a problem with a man in orange hood. Man in orange hood? Who, 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 fucking, who fucking told you my business, he says, folding his arms and making his best attempt to look intimidating. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hardly important. All that matters right now is what well, seems to be we're both, uh, in, we both have an interest in the same person. Do you help and me what, find him? And what would your interest be? Well, it seems he's been hassling some of the uh, other patrons. And it's... <laughs> we don't need him hassling patrons while, while they're here. The man wavers on the spot. He looks you up and down and then he smiles again. He says, alright, I'll tell ya. But if I tell ya, you gotta let me taste ya. He licks his lips. Oh yeah, <laughs> takes everything in her power not to like visibly cringe. Oh, I, I bet you taste as sweet as you look. <laughs> How would you like to handle this? Is I don't think Bouncer would lower herself to the level of letting him taste oh, her. <laughs> oh, no, she has no intent of actually letting him do anything. It's like, if anything, like, get into one of the rooms and knock him out after he, after he gives her the information. You can do more it. than that. I give yeah. you fucking right. shit as a player. <laughs> Hell, he won't even give you a stain, just kill the man. You roll <laughs> your eyes and sigh, and then you gesture for him to follow you. He slowly stumbles off the dance floor. Hey, it's gonna be good! He says as he slowly follows you down a corridor towards the rooms at the back. The rooms where the girls perform their special services. You open one of the doors and hold it open for him as he stumbles inside it. As soon as he's in the room, uh, uh, he falls forward, sprawling onto the velvet bed. Takes him longer than it should to pull himself up into a sitting position. And then as you shut the door behind you, you step up to him. He pats the bed next to you. All right. Who first, me or you? Well, it only seems fair that you go first. Fair enough, because it isn't going to take long for me to tell you about the guy in the orange hoodie. And what I'm going to do next is going to take much longer. <laughs> he licks his salivating lips once again. 
And then he spits on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Bastard in the orange hoodie. Reckons I owe him the money. You see, I used to, I used to work import export, okay? But I, I got sick of working nine to five for some other prick business. So I started, wanted to start out on, on me own. But, see, when I was only 23, I didn't pay a parking ticket. So the bank said they wouldn't give me the money. So I went with this other bloke. Uh, Day Love or Love Joy or something like that. And they said they'd give me a month and now they're coming after me and it's been a month but I only just got started I ain't got enough money to pay it back I keep telling them but the one in the orange hoodie he said I better make sure make sure I don't regret nothing but if I didn't pay up soon he'd come after me he finishes, struggling to hold himself together. And then, before you have a chance to react, he opens his mouth, his tongue hanging out, outreaches his hands. He says, Now! Now it's his taste! Just like you said! And he lunges forwards off the bed, drunkenly staggering towards you. I don't know, it's just... Like... Almost a practice movement, just like hand to the forehead, and then just onto the, the onto the uh, backboard, just crack. Go ahead, make a strength brawl check for me. hope this isn't a messy crit. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's three successes, though. Three successes. He steps forwards, and you place your hands on his arm. Whoa! You like it He slurs as you lift him up, and in one swift motion, deliver a punch to his solar plexus as you fling him back onto the bed. You hear the crack of his head hitting the headboard and just like that, he's out. He doesn't even get to gasp in pain. And then, yeah, she's just like stand there for a moment, just looking at him just utter disgust. And then turns and leaves, realizing she doesn't, she doesn't want to leave the mess for everyone else to clean up. <laughs> Take holes of the door for you. Yep, not Tig's that door, but the, the one. Door. The, the, the one, one that leads out to the street. Yeah. yeah.
So, as a... yep, go ahead. Oh yeah, and then just, as she like, yeah, meets up with them again, she's just like, well, apparently a man in an orange hoodie has been around here as well. Seems awfully yeah. coincidence. Awful coincidence. Bartender mentioned one of the girls might be calling you about that. Oh. Told you that. Uh, yeah, he did. Said to leave his name out of it, though, so don't make on like you know. Or do I? I mean, I ain't coming here again. Elaine's <laughs> gonna have me eye she finds out there's anyone at a place like this. Yeah, that she would. <laughs> You step out once again into the humid night air and the metal door shuts behind you, dulling the bass once again to just a, just a low... <laughs> Tig, your phone begins to ring, the old polyphonic ringtone emanating from the Nokia in your left pocket. Tig sighs, looks at it balefully. Look, gives Bouncer a pleading look. Could, could you, could you, could you, he says. I don't have to do nothing to use this one, do I? Just, just like, uh... Looking at, by how old it is, I think you should try to open it, shouldn't you? Or you hit the answer button. He opens it half, it looks like he half expects it to, like, turn off or blow up. Hello? It's on loudspeaker immediately because that's, you know, Tig, when Tig answers it, he accidentally puts it on loudspeaker. It's never left loudspeaker, actually. And, yeah, it's the only way Tig can hear what's coming on the other end. Tig! Christ! Surprised you answered the phone yourself. Was half, an, half expecting to hear a lane on the other end or someone else. You recognize the voice of Bunyip, your sire. Hey, Bunyip. Yeah, we need to have a talk. Yeah, had a feeling you would. Uh, look, I've just heard what's going on with Barry. I've seen the news, and I thought I'd get in touch with you. Wasn't expecting it to be this easy, and look, honestly... How hard it is to get you to answer the phone sometimes. You are giving our clan a bad name, brother. Well. Hmm. I'd say sorry, but you told me to be honest, and I ain't really. <sighs> All this new stuff, I can't keep up with it. Mate, this stuff was old at the time you bloody died. So was I. Give me some yeah. slack here. Alright, fair enough. Look. And whose fault is that again, anyway? <laughs> Look, you know how it is with our clan. We don't do any of that mentorship stuff. No, I don't you figure care it about out that. on your own, and look. I've seen you hold your own against a lupine, so. Just because you don't know how to use a phone don't mean that you're the world's crappiest gangrel. But look, I'll tell you who is the world's crappiest gangrel. 
that mongrel, Barry Lovelace, and he... City Slickers. And who the hell embraces their bloody family? I know, Look. I know, right? <laughs> Look, don't uh, know if Elaine's pointed it out to you or not already, but this is obviously a power play on Barry's part. He's gunning yeah. to be warlord of the waterfront, and he's using this as a show of force to make an example of anyone who might oppose him and show that he can get shit done. You understand, right? Uh, not really, but I mean, yes, yeah, what the others were saying. Frankly, I don't know why the fuck Barry does anything except run his debt collection agency and make money. It's all he was ever really good at. Exactly. Now, us, our pack, and you, we keep this city running, we do. We don't let the werewolves come in here rip the shit out of everyone and they recognize it Barry sits in his office collecting money from bloody mortals so here's what I want you to do me and All the right. pack look we stay out of city politics when we can technically we're anarchs but the only reason we deal with them is because we have to if we had it our way, we'd just be left to our own devices. So don't expect us to have anything that might help you if you got to politic your way out of this. But I know someone might be able to help you. Oh, all right. Who are they? Good, good friend of mine. And these days, he's more Autarchus than Anarch, I would say. Like us, keeps to himself. And Noz goes by the name of... Uh, who was he again? He thinks for a moment. Been a while since I've had to bloody tap him for any info. But he'll get what you need him to. That's right. He says, I remember now. Lives up at the old refinery. Used to be Baron Archibald's second in command. So he knows how to dig up info on people. He knows how to keep an eye on anything that's going down. These days, sells his services to anyone who needs info. But he can get what you're looking for. You'll want to look him up. Nosferatu by the name of Pussy Magnet Murphy. He's a self-identified ugly son of a bitch. And I'm not inclined to argue. He picked the name himself. Because if he did, I'd like this fucker. <sighs> Hey, wait until you meet him, and you'll see why the rest of his old Anarch buddies chose that particular moniker. Oh. And when you Does see he look like why... an enormous Tonka? 
No! He's a nos. He looks like a fucking insect okay. crossed with roadkill. But right. look, maybe when you understand why he's got that name, you'll understand why he's Autarkus these days. Look, he doesn't owe me any boons, but we go back a long way. And if you say you're my child, huh, he'll see you through. Might ask for something in return, so be prepared. Alright, these are the old refinery, you said? Old refinery, that's right, up in, uh... Yeah. Old refinery up in, uh, past Homestead Park. I don't know where in Foster. it is. Yeah, yeah, I remember I when it was open. Just All down, right. yeah, yeah, I know, it was just fields and bloody trees back in your day. Down Damn the road straight. from your farm anyway, so... Alright. Look him up if you need help. I think we might. There's some, like, footage we're supposed to get, and I've got no clue how to fucking do right. it. Alright. Now. Thank you, Bunyip. You've been an help. Now. I'll see you morning. One last thing. I need you to look down at the phone. And you see the button that's got a little red handset on it? Press that All one right. for me. That's how you hang up. Bonk. Did that do it? Phone beeps, and the call Bonk. is ended. Very optimistic of you to think that he got the first button on the first try. Well, he was told exactly which one to press. There's only one Very button with any red on it. Yeah. All right. The call is ended, but like about two seconds after the call ends, the phone starts to emanate a very saccharine-sounding, cartoonish little jingle and... Bouncer, you sigh as you look down and see that somehow, without meaning to, Tiggs opened one of the one of the one of the games installed on the phone—a puzzle game involving coloured capsules and cartoon animals. Oh fuck! I fucked. I fucked it up. Could you <laughs> fix it? So, please. The answer. <laughs> Do yes, you fix yes, it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You press the button, uh, and the jingle stops, and you register on the phone. It says, "Eight fifty. About time to head to see Sam Stokes." I'm gonna need to get some food on the way. You don't mind if I eat in the cab, do you? No, that's fine by me. So on the drive over, Tig will uh, fair whispers up some pigeons. Yeah, go ahead. Do a rouse check for me. Gets hungrier. Up to four. Up to four. Okay. Oh. Oof, this could be uh, bad depending on how many you get. Go ahead and make for me a six successes. Six successes. As the Ute rumbles down the road. Tig takes his takes one hand off the wheel, holds uh, it out the I window. I tell a lie. I tell a lie. I only have five dice in that. Sorry, different character. Yeah. Two successes. Well, two successes. Do you have animal succulents? Heck yeah, I do. Yeah. So, <laughs> Tig holds his hand out the window, bangs on the top of the cab, and as the Ute 
rumbles past the waterfront, the water of Cowie's Cowie's Bay, an expanse of inky blackness that seems to go on forever and ever. You hear the flapping of wings and tapping on the top of the ute cabinet, ute cabin as two rather plump seagulls land, float, drawn from the bay by Tig's animalism. And Bouncer, you can't help but feel perhaps a little sick. Your beast in the pit of your gut recoils in contempt and disgust as Tig reaches out, snatches one of the seagulls from the roof, pulls it into the cab, and drains it dry in a matter of seconds. He tosses the emptied carcass out the window like a piece of litter and then reaches for the other one. You have animal succulents, Tig, so you may reduce your hunger by two. Alright, I'll take it. Go down from four to two. Yeah, right. works for me. So, at about one past nine, you all converge upon your usual meeting spot with Sam Stokes. A cliffside picnic area contained underneath a corrugated iron pavilion which casts a big black square shadow across the patch of concrete upon which the overlook stands. Just beyond the overlook, there's about a metre of grass that extends out to the edge of the cliff. And then beyond that, 30 or 40 feet below, a line of soft white sand descends into the inky blackness of Cowie's Bay. This time of night, the beach is utterly deserted. There's very little light save for a single lamp post that provides just enough light for you to see each other making your way separately down the dirt trails that wind through the cliffside park towards the picnic area. Sam is running late. That's her style. She's ordered you many times not to keep her waiting, and yet it always takes her at least ten minutes to turn up at any arranged meeting. So you spend this time giving each other a quick recap of everything you've discovered so far. Finally, you hear the sound of heavy tyres crunching over dirt and gravel, and high beam headlights flood through the park, lighting you all up. They linger on you for just a moment, and then they die. And out of the black sedan steps Sam Stokes, the consul 
your mauler. I'm going to put a picture of her up in our bear. As her leather boots crunch down on the dirt and she makes her way towards you, it's almost like the shadows in her path shift, twist, shirking away from her and all of the ambient light in the area concentrates in one place illuminating her face and body to you. Her deep white pale skin, her long flowing black hair that goes well past her, well past her shoulders and almost reaches her waist. Her deep red lipstick and her coat and form-fitting pants all in deep black. She gazes at you from behind a pair of impenetrably black sunglasses that she wears even at night. Sam Stokes is a La Sombra, one of very few in G-Town. Nominally, she's part of the Camarilla, the Council, but her job is to make sure both sects, the Anarchs and the Can, play nice. She has many friends on both sides and is highly respected. She nods as she steps into the picnic area, greeting you. Right, who the fuck's this? She points at Cross. Uh, hired help, as it were. Um, I'm sure you know about our little um, unfortunate circumstance. I Cross, do! Cross, not having been directly addressed, just sort of stands there. In his infinite wisdom, Barry um, assigned Cross to us. Not sure if he thought he'd be uh, useful or a problem, but um, he's proven valuable nonetheless. She frowns. Assigned. Hmm. At least that's I'm, how he um, how he spoke of it. I'm responsible for training all the fledglings in this domain, just like I trained you guys. And I don't recognise him. So if he's one of Barry's, she turns towards Cross, snaps her fingers. Tell me who you are and who your sire is. Uh, I'm Cross. My sire is Mort. Mort, Mort. Ah! I get it. She smiles. Mort. Yeah. Hmm. Wasn't aware he'd uh, embrace. And so soon. She smiles. Mort's not much older than this lot here, she says. Was only a couple years dead when they got the embrace. So, I suppose that makes you, what, five months, six months, seven, something like that? Uh, actually, how many months is it? Yeah, you've been dead for about six months, give or take. Yeah, that's about right. Didn't have the pleasure of training Mort myself, she says. 
Hakata have always had a thing. They train their own neonates, because they ain't part of the cam and they ain't part of the Anarchs. And even back then, in the 90s, when there wasn't any Hakata, it was just the Giovanni and some Samity just doing their own thing in the city. Even back then, they handled it themselves. So, don't know much about your sire, but I do know that on several occasions he's tried to get in my good books because he thinks that I might teach him some choice oblivion tricks. And so he sent you here to get on my good side, right? I don't know. She shrugs. Bit slow on the uptake, but I suppose you are a fledgling. Thinking of on that topic, she says, Mort. Mort, if I recall, back when he was fully part of the Hakata, he approached Prince Aveline for permission to embrace, and she said no on account of him being 13th generation, so shit, that would make you... She trails off. How are you not a thin blood? Uh... Am I supposed to know the answer to that? She shrugs. You don't seem to know a lot. Why did Barry assign you? What is it you're doing for this coterie? If you don't mind me asking, because these these guys, you're with their mine. And if somebody's out for their blood... Somebody's selling them out. I will make sure they meet their final death. Uh, nobody really tells me anything, but um, I, I I'm I'm good with I'm good with ghosts. Ghosts, right? Hakata, Oblivion, right? That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Your sire said he'd be providing me a means to handle something I'm dealing with. You must have been what he meant. Well, that's for another night. Tonight, this shit with Barry and the Alvis impersonator. I assume you knew about this before tonight. I heard that Barry called a meeting last night and so... No idea why you didn't come to me, by the way, considering I rely on you all to help me conduct my business in this city. But I'm here now, and that's what counts. I presume at the very least, when you weren't telling me what was going on, you were conducting investigations of your own. Well, you'd be surprised at how much of a loop Barry threw us through. Uh... If you have anything you could tell us about him, by the way, uh, that might be useful. That would be much appreciated. But yeah, but last night he pretty much called us up, said he had some business, and uh, yeah, you're going to be blood hunted by and dropped cross on us. I, I don't understand. Do you have something to do with the case? She smiles. I am. Forgive me. She holds out her hand. Samantha Stokes. Camarilla Consul. 
I am something of a mentor, more like a boss to these guys. Some of them are Anarch, some of them are Cam, but they all work for me. And it's our job to make sure what passes for peace in this domain doesn't get disrupted. Make sure that any problems between the two sects are dealt with, and that anyone who's causing trouble is silenced. And that brings me to Barry. She's still holding out her hand. Does Cross take it? <laughs> Cross does not take it, but they probably, like, she probably spot it looking at her hand uncomfortably. She just rolls her eyes, retracts her hand, and she says, Hmm, right. I know they call you the Clan of Death. Should have expected coldness. Uh, uh I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Not, not good with that stuff. Right. Well, you're here to talk to ghosts, and I assume ghosts are uh, a bit less uh, forward in their conversations than those of us who are still in the earthly realm. Have you talked to a ghost? She shrugs. Can't say I have. See them sometimes, but that type of oblivion, that ain't what us La Sombra are known for. We do things with darkness and shadows it's you guys that handle the ghosts your sire said he wouldn't teach me said that he'd uh that it'd be his head on the giovanni's platter if he did but he said that he would be providing a means for me to speak with ghosts see i've got a little problem i need dealt with but well let's consider let's consider this barry thing a test run if you can help this coterie get out with their unlives intact, then I will uh, trust that your sire has sent me somebody I can actually use. Deal? Uh, yeah, okay. So, Barry Lovelace. Piece of work, disgusting little shit. Gunning for the spot of Warlord of the Warlord of the Waterfront ever since uh, ever since the previous Warlord Victor von Strudeldorf she notices you stifling a chuckle and she says, yeah, we know fake name for sure but, you know, guy was a Ventru so could very well be a real name unfortunate if that's the case He's heard the beckoning, fucked off to the Middle East, and Barry thinks he's a shoo-in for the next Warlord. Now, thing is, that all the Anarchs in the Waterfront have to take a vote at the next rant. Which means he needs the Setites at the Gallery, and the Bruhar at the Tip, voting for him and well she looks to Tig and she says your sire would have told you Barry ain't too popular at least not among polite society what he does with the mortals debt collecting it's a bit 
distasteful, some would say. Not to mention the methods he's used in the past to recoup some of those debts. Borders on breaching the masquerade and... Well, if the prince found out everything that goes on in the Anarch domains, especially some of the things Barry's responsible for, well, she'd have him blood-hunted, and there are some Anarchs who would not take kindly to that. So, if we're going to resolve this, we need to do it quickly before Barry's ambitions set the Cam and the Anarchs at each other's throats. I've got a question first. Is that Val? all he does? Just fleece mortals, and he's gunning for the warlord position. Surely you do something a little bit more than just shake down the un- like the living for money. Himself he must be doing is... something, something behind the scenes to give himself some kind of presence. Presents himself as something of a captain of security, she says, shrugging, rolling her eyes. He's been known to rough up kindred neonates on occasion, you know, beat the sense uh, into some anarch fledglings when they think it's a good idea to throw cars at each other in the middle of a downtown street, things like that. Right, so his enforcement racket doesn't just extend to the living, it extends to us as well. Well, that exactly. that question. So he does things that other anarchs wouldn't necessarily want to which is how he's been able to stick around so long. Now, I've been told that he's got the Sedites and the Bruha both gunning for you as well. But, I'm not sure I believe it. See, a couple of, just a couple of nights ago, the Sedites in particular wanted nothing to do with Barry. They're trying to put forward their one of their own, Meredith, as the next warlord. And the Bruja... Well, there's bad blood between the Bruja and Barry. Something to do with him and one of their neonates a decade or two ago. And, well, they'd rather have anyone but him. Do you have any inclination of what might have gone down behind the scenes to make them change their minds so quickly? Something tells me it has something to do with us. She nods. Yeah, I think it's everything to do with you. I think it's been a lucky coincidence that you were there in that bar on that night 20 years ago. And I think Barry's got something to hide. And I think that Barry's trying to kill two birds with one stone get rid of something that would ruin his chances to become the Warlord, and at the same time, rile up all the Anarchs of the Waterfront and give them a scapegoat to rally against. You guys. Of course, get... because we're Camarilla in, uh, indicated. She nods. <clears throat> and you work for me, and, well... Let's just say that Barry and I have never seen eye to eye. I'm one of the primary reasons why Barry hasn't been able to do more than recoup debts and beat the shit out of people. Because Barry's one of those hardliners. 
who'd like to drive anyone who doesn't think his shit doesn't stink out of the city. And it's my job as consul to make sure people like him don't get a soapbox to stand on. I wish I knew about all this before we met with him. I wouldn't have agreed to uh, meet via Zoom. If we spent some time together, I would have been told he was lying through his teeth the entire time. She shrugs and I think and he frowns. knew that as well. She shrugs and frowns. He definitely knew. And that's on you for not calling me, by the way. I would have given you all this information and told you, do not, under any circumstances, contact him. No use crying over spilt Vitae. Let us continue on. He's using you guys as a scapegoat to unite the other clans under him, demonstrating that he can do the job and serve as an effective warlord. He gets their vote of confidence. He gets rid of something that could come back later and bite him in the ass. And furthermore, he weakens my position by subjecting one of my own to the final death. Just out of curiosity, she says, smiling. Have you had a think had a think about it yet? Which of you you'll offer up if you know? <laughs> Valerie is acutely aware that she's probably the only one who can see through lies, and says, uh, "No, absolutely not. We're all innocent. Clearly, uh, she's definitely thought about somebody to point though." <laughs> Aren't we all in this together, everyone? Oh yeah, we're in this together. Ain't letting Barry win, no way, no how. Cross just sort of steps away slightly. Yes, even you, mister. <laughs> mister. She slams oh, her hands that? down on the picnic oh, table. And she says, orange so, right. fucker what done it, probably. Orange fucker. Tig, right. Orange fucker. Elaborate. Uh. Tig looks around. Um, Do you want well, me to take this What one? was it? Yeah, the ghost said an, an orange fucker, and then there was. There below, we've been. I all heard about it. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, please do. Yeah, uh, so, uh, we've been hearing a lot of stories about um, a fellow in orange going around breaking fingers, taking money back from the mortals. It sounds a lot like Barry Jr. has been doing Barry Sr.'s work, taking up the family trade. Uh, interestingly enough, thanks to uh, our new addition, Cross, uh, as well as um, visiting the proprietor of the bar where this all went down, it seems like he may have, um, Barry Jr., that is, uh, been at the scene of the crime that very night and possibly even perpetrated the entire thing. I agree, she says. We don't have any proof yet, but we do have some leads that might be promising. All circumstantial, but it certainly points to Barry Jr. Even but if he isn't the one doing it, even if he's the one doing it, it looks like uh, we could probably find something on him regardless. She nods. A blockhead like Barry Jr. does not have the ability to alter footage, though. No, but Barry Sr. seems to have uh, plenty of people in his pocket. Not everyone, um, but enough. Definitely. No, uh, the... The, the touch-up job is pretty sloppy. Uh, it wasn't anyone particularly skilled. Sloppy. If they know their way around, I mm. really could have pulled it off, no problem. Potentially, he or Barry could have done it themselves. 
Cross. You spent most of tonight in your haven so far. At least that's what I've been told. You did research on similar deaths, if I'm to understand it. That's correct. And all of these deaths seem to have a financial motive. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Barry Jr. is at least involved, even if he's not doing the killing. This has got the Lovelace's fingerprints all over it. She oozes the words. So, going forward, what we need is definitive proof. Something that will serve as a smoking gun. I think it's obvious at this point that he did it. But simply pointing a finger at him won't fly. Especially if Barry's got the other Anarchs of the Waterfront backing him. Simply turning up to the ramp and accusing the new warlord's child of being the true culprit You'll be lucky if they don't call for all of you to be bloodhunted. I agree. The most we have at the moment is circumstantial, and they've got something much harder. They have us entering the premises and pointing us all at the murder. Uh, but I do have some ideas on that. There's somebody who is there who is connected to Elvis, um, who I'll actually be speaking to later tonight. He knows somebody, or is in the pocket of somebody, or something. I'm still shaking out the details on that. He has a very similar MO. Throwing money around, breaking fingers, getting things done. I wouldn't be surprised if he has something in connection with Barry's little gang. Right, Mark Bradley, she says. That's right, Mark Counselor. Bradley. Hmm. Here's a he word has somebody to the... in his pocket, um, Elliot, Elliot Dawkins, who might have something to do with it. Regardless, um, we have some other uh, others to pursue in regards to information as well. She nods. Dawkins. Dawkins, yeah. I know him. Used to be the Ventru Primogen's prodigal child, but he's defected to the Anarchs and... Well, obviously Jeanette <laughs> wants to smear his name because... Oh, who can blame him? Who doesn't? Who can blame? Who can blame the Toriador for wanting to knock the Ventru off their pedestal? Oh, we don't call it smearing, by the way. It's creative journalism. Well, look, that's got nothing to do with me. If that's how you get the information out of Bradley, you got to do what you got to do. Other promising leads. There's, I should uh... probably move on to that. Um, can you tell us anything about uh, about Elliot? I know he's defected, but. Is there anything, like, notable about him? Does he, has he stirred up any fuss lately that you're aware of? Look, he petitioned the prince for the right of embrace. She said no, and so he picked up his ball and made, like, a little child off to the Anarchs. Uh, he, in mortal life, he was the heir to uh, one of the wool barons and has essentially... Uh, spent the last 
80 years or so partying it up on Grandpa's money. That's where I know that name from. Oh, she fuck, nods. Of course he's a Dawkins. Dawkins wool importing, of course. Worthless, every one of them. <sighs> Worthless. They did build this city, but I agree with you about, you know, being a Ventru and all. Well, the ones nowadays are worthless. She nods. Never gave you a fair price. So, other promising leads. I certainly do recommend that you pay a visit to the Bruja or the Setites. Maybe not both if you don't have time. But seeing as how the Setites were putting up Meredith for the spot until just a night ago, I'd say it's definitely worth paying them a visit. Sounds like we've got a lot of plates to spend. We might have to split up over the next night. Uh, we had plenty of uh, things to follow up on as well. And there's that uh, Mr. Murphy Nosferatu to have a talk with Bunyip. Said that was probably a good idea. Oh, Pussy Magnet, she nods. Yeah, I've tapped him for info a couple times in the past. He'll be able to dig something up, but uh, he'll probably ask something in return and word among my contacts at least is that he's looking for a new haven. See, uh, Bradley wants to rezone the old refinery as residential land, so in a few months they'll be knocking the whole thing down. So pussy magnets in the market for a new haven, or somebody to convince Bradley to leave the old refinery standing. Hmm. Well, I will be seeing Bradley later tonight. Perhaps I can work something out. I already need to put the thumbscrews in on him, but I can put them in a little tighter if need be. We also she need him to lay off on uh, Lucky's bar. But that's neither here nor there. She shrugs. May as well. Put the nails into him and it'll just make Dawkins all the more angry. She chuckles at the prospect. So, Setites. Who's keen on visiting them? Uh, I don't mind, but Mord has told me that they don't tend to like us. Hmm. She peers at you, trying to gauge something. She frowns. Can't really tell in this light, and you don't look as rotten as I'm expecting, but you're a Samity, right? That's right. Mort's correct. Setites and Hikata usually don't get along. Setites and Samity, though? Well, there's common ground there. Your bloodlines were best of friends in the past, so, hmm, maybe you could be the one to pry some useful info out of them. Why did the name for that? And she shrugs. Yeah, okay. She shrugs. Mort's, uh, Mort's only 20 years dead, love. There's a lot he doesn't know about kindred society. You look at us, we're about 20 years dead, and we're still learning something every single night. Okay, well, I like the sound of the Sadites more than I like the sound of the Brahad. 
Fair Actually, enough. Speaking of Bruja, Bouncer, you seem to get along with them quite well. Indeed. I mean, assumption, just because I am one. <laughs> well, don't you all get along quite well? Getting up in each other's grills, riling each other up, making each other angry about things and stuff and whatever. The Bruhar I've seen seem like they kind of hate each other. Same clan. Nods, mm-hmm. Sam. Bouncer doesn't seem like the type to spend her nights scrounging around in the tip. I mean, I'm happy to go wherever and, you know, turn on the charm, as it were, and get things done. But, you know, I, if, if anybody here has any contacts or would like to put their hands up, please feel free. It's going to be a big night for me. Uh, I'll go talking with Mr. Morgan, but I don't really have much to bargain with. I don't uh, have any spare place for him to bunk up, and he's certainly not shucking around my ranch. Oh, don't worry about that. I'll be chatting to um, Mr. Bradley tonight about getting the heat off of his haven. If you use that as a bargaining chip, it might get you partway. You might have to offer something in return. Um, All right. To kind of so sweeten the, the deal, best, but you can make it work. Not the best negotiator, but I can owe a boon. Whatever. So, Tig, says Sam, looking in your direction, you go meet with Pussy Magnet Murphy and you tell him that Val will ensure that Bradley does not lay a finger on his haven and hopefully that'll get you what you need. Tig hurriedly pulls out a notebook and scribbles that down. We'll get you what you need, all right. Bouncer, up to you if you want to go to Pussy Magnet or the Bruja. Uh, hmm. How, how split up are we thinking we should be? Depends on oh, how man. confident you are. I don't see much reason for this here Nosferatu to get violent with me. I'm just bargaining with him. It's a reputation so can go for being a, uh, information dealer. That said, yeah. says Sam, Bouncer has her finger on the pulse of the Anarchs, and she might be worth having around just for the social subtleties that, no offence, might be lost on you, Tig. None taken. Ah. Also, one Lisa's also Lisa's supposed to be calling you tonight, so you might want to call her if, uh, to find out who that deck collector she borrowed from was. Their uh, bouncer. But that's and another. As you, as you say this, you hear Bouncer's phone loudly beep from her pocket. That's bigger the devil. And bouncer, you pull your phone out. And it's not ringing, but there is a message blinking on the screen. It's from Damien, the bartender at Club Violet. The message simply reads, Been trying to get in touch with Lisa. Keeps going to answering machine. I'll try to call again, but I'm worried. Mind if you check in on her. Hmm. I'll just, yeah, quickly, quickly send back 
that. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. I'll have a look into it. The message sends, and a second later, he responds with a thumbs up. Everything okay, Bouncer? Asks Sam. Uh, it appears I may be looking into something else for the moment. One of the girls who was apparently having debt troubles, uh, they haven't been able to get into contact with her. Uh, sounds like Barry's been out and about. It's definitely ensure that you look into that, says Sam, smiling. Remember, you have the rest of tonight, and you have tomorrow night, so don't feel like you have to do everything at once. But, speaking of what can be done right now, she looks over at Cross. You said one of the one of the people you looked up, the suicide, buried in the old G-Town Cemetery, was it? Yeah, that's right. Hmm. She nods. And she points at the points down the dirt trail at the waterfront road. That's just over there. Uh, yeah, it is. Might oh, be she's worth. Saying, she's saying you should go do it tonight. Oh, might be might be right, worth if yeah. you all go along, since uh, you know, place is guarded. Place has got security guards and everything, and. Well, sure, you'll have to split up to handle everything, but I figure it's so close by, you may as well just go and see and help cross if need be. Uh, uh, really? Security guards at a graveyard? Yeah, that's... She, she nods, it's heritage listed. And, uh, you know, uh, of course. some of the mausoleums for some of the old wool families, uh, well... There's uh, some stuff that some people in this city would think is valuable enough to steal inside them. Now, they robbed enough out of the farmers, I can't say I'm surprised. Alright, shall we get this over there with then? Sam nods. She turns and steps off the concrete onto the dirt trail. She looks over her shoulder. Give me a call if you need anything. Don't forget this time. Anything else? Bouncer? Hmm? Thought were you going to say something? No. Yep. Alright. Let's get this done. I've got some things to attend to, but... If you need my help... I will drop what I'm doing. I promise. Thanks for your support, Sam. It means a lot. Sorry for not calling you before. Mm, yeah, yeah, she says. Her leather boots crunch along the ash, uh, crunch along the gravel as she makes her way down the dirt trail, climbs into her black sedan, and once again the high beam lights flood your faces. And then within the next minute, she's gone, swallowed up by the darkness as the shadows all around you shudder and return to their original position, seemingly swallowing her up in the distance like a blanket. Did she seem more surly than usual? 
Oh, I can never get a word in it with it wise when she's around. I can't she tell if she's worse than usual or just regular old self. Must be on the sombra thing. <laughs> nah, she's got a lot going on. Yeah. She's usually pretty surly, but definitely she's a bit more surly tonight. So, the old G-Town Cemetery. It's only a short walk from here down the road. It's right there on the waterfront, adjoining the G-Town Botanical Gardens. Right on Ballerine Road. You all make your way to the edge of the road and follow Ballerine Road past a row of newly built townhouses that have a perfect view on the bay and according to the sign hammered into the front lawn are each for sale for 2.5 million dollars each. You pass by the wrought iron gates to the botanical gardens and then come to the old G-Town Cemetery. It's about an acre of land, all enclosed within a gothic stone wall, complete with iron spikes and gargoyles. The demon-faced, lizard-tailed, bat-winged statues watch you cautiously as you approach the wrought iron gates. They're locked tight, and a thick iron chain is wrapped around them. Beside the gate is... ...an electronic speaker with a big red button, and beyond the gate, you can see a dirt trail winding through the cemetery. About... ...ten metres down the dirt trail, there's a small brick cabin with a sign reading security and a single glowing orange light bulb above the metal blue door signifying that the security are indeed in. There aren't any cameras facing the street, but just beyond the gates you can see a single CCTV camera attached to the back of a street light, slowly swivelling from left to right as it watches the main path through the cemetery grounds. What would you like to do? Uh, Cross, uh, just sort of... Uh, is ne it's standing next to Mitch and it says, uh, do you know why they call them gargoyles? Oh, it's that's actually really cool. Um, they, uh, it's actually from the French gargouille, and it's like it, it's like the it's where we get the word gargle from because they used to use them to get rid of water from um, from uh, what are the what are the things called gutters, gutters on churches and stuff. <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Uh, Valerie kind of wanders up behind him and puts a hand deftly, like, straight on top of his head and kind of turns, uh, turns cross towards the graveyard, gives him a very light push forward. 
We have work Crossed, to do, friends. We have work Crossed to do. Crumbles forwards and immediately bumps into the chained gate. Yeah, oh, that didn't go like... as well as I expected. It's, yeah, it's locked. Yeah, it's chained up. What did you expect? Yeah, you said that the security's inside, isn't inside the yeah, cemetery? Yeah, just beyond it? the gate. There's a little, there's an alec, there's a speaker and a button next to the gate, and presumably the idea is that if you need to be in the cemetery at night, you get the security guard to buzz you through, you, and you know they'll come and unlock the gate. But that's probably a luxury reserved for you know, gardeners and groundskeepers, not for just randoms on the street who want to come into the cemetery at night. Yeah. Uh, Valerie looks towards the, um, the security, uh, security, uh, room, and back towards the button, and over towards the room, and back towards the button, and presses it directly. Press the button, static bursts from the speaker. Yeah, I see ya. Cemetery's closed. Come back in the morning. Uh, he- hello, who am I speaking with? Yeah, this is Greg. Uh, I'm looking at you on the monitor right now, and uh, I can tell you ain't gardeners, and you're not groundskeepers, so if you're just here to pay your respects, cemetery opens from 7am. Uh, actually, it's about that. Uh, we're with the G-Town Paranormal uh, Rectification Agency. Uh, could, you, could you come out? We need to speak with you, actually. It's quite important. Jesus fucking Christ, says the man on the other end of the speaker. Oh, bloody ch- children, bloody mad TikTok madness. And then the static from the speaker stops. And five seconds later, the metal blue door of the security shack creaks open and Greg, a short, dubby, quite flabby man wearing a very tightly fitting security guard uniform that looks like it's about to burst in several places, steps out onto the dirt path. Uh, for the record, Cross has changed its appearance to not look like a corpse. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, as he approaches, Valerie uh, activates her orb. Yeah. He whistles as he walks down the dirt path, his thick feet crunching on the dirt. He looks you up and down and he says, Alright. Thought you were kids doing some nonsense for TikTok, but now I get a good look at you. Paranormal something or other, you said? Uh, the G-Town Paranormal Rectification Agency. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. called out whenever there's some kind of paranormal uh, disturbance that needs to be, well, rectified and quickly. Paranormal disturbance? What, you mean like ghosts? All Ooh. sorts of things. Demons, ghosts, wraiths, uh, you'd never know what, what can come out in a graveyard. No, I'm surprised you haven't no heard of us before. It's just ghosts. And... Cross! Shut the fuck I up. I mean... Well, I mean... You certainly don't look like someone who's causing trouble, but... Come on. Ghosts? <laughs> no such thing as ghosts, lover. You gonna uh, tell so... me if this is if this is for a movie, or... 
some video you're filming and you really need to come in, I suppose I can let you in, but I'd have to watch you the whole time. Be more than me job's worth if you touched anything or knocked something over. Otherwise, you have to come back in the morning. Like to activate his dominate? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, his compel, sorry. His compel, yep, so that is no rouse... Uh, no rouse check. Uh, and he's going to say, you would like to the cemetery. Yeah. As Valerie beckons him closer, he can't resist her awe, and he waddles closer to the gate to get a good look at the full splendour of her beauty. And... Do you have Mesmerize, Mitch? Or do you only have Compel? I have Compel, but what I'm reading is it's a simple sentence, not necessarily like a simple command. Yeah, it's a simple command, so I think just us in would suffice. So... Yeah. As he steps out, and he's illuminated by the street lights, and he stares agape at Valerie. You step forward, press your body against the bars, lock him in your eyesight, and whisper the command. Let us in. He looks at you, his eyes glazed over, and then he nods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He reaches into his breast pocket, pulls out a key ring, and waddles over, be leaning over as he begins to unlock the chain. A few seconds later, the chain uncoils from the wrought iron gate and drops down to the floor. Greg places a hammy hand around one of the bars and pulls, and the great gate groans as it opens. Greg watches as you all pile through the gate, making your way down the dirt path, and then as he catches your eyes once again, Mitch, he shakes his head. Ah, uh, I... Hang on. I didn't say you could come in. How'd you... Did I let you in? Did you forget already? How else would we be in? No, I've been working some late nights, mate. I must have you let know, you is, in, but... This is very normal for paranormal activity. Sometimes ghosts mess with, mess with your memories, mess with your mind. There's a reason we're here, after all. Val, go ahead and make a charisma performance check for me. And what will you say, Bouncer? No, oh, there's just thinking I was you're probably just gonna try and like pile onto it, just like have you been uh, have yeah. you been experiencing these sort of memory lapses any other nights? Like maybe <laughs> you, you want to do something and missing time. Gaslighting, gaslighting, this is that's just a one. That's just a one for now. Have you just been have one. you been experiencing what we call sims uh, simlish <laughs> sim situations? Walk into a room and forget why you came in there. I will the allow I will allow Bouncer to also make a Charisma performance check, and I'm going to add the successes to Valerie's. Uh... Yeah, I'll ask Charisma for it. <laughs> oh, should I have added my presence to that? Yeah, because you did have it activated, so yeah, go I ahead, roll that number I'll of times. Know. 
chance of failure, so I get hungrier. Yeah, that's my next dress. That's two successes. Extra. Looks like people will need to go hunting next session. <laughs> Not Valerie, still in one. Yeah. Yeah, blood part one's only two extra die, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, would my die. looks pl my looks play into this? It would, yes. Cool. Makes it four successes. Four successes. Uh, yeah, six total then. Yeah, six total. He stares back at you and then he shakes his head and he shrugs and he says, Oh, shit, maybe you're on about something. Huh. I thought I'd just... No. My shifts pass really quickly some nights and I thought it's just because I fall asleep without meaning to in the shack, but now you bring it up. Missing time, yeah. He shudders visibly. Alright, uh, I won't bother yous, uh, you just do what you gotta do and, uh, get the ghouls, ghouls and the ghosties uh, out of here and, uh, let me know if you need anything. Any terms? And... Yep, go ahead. Uh, we'll have you back to your, um, alert, present, uh, highly trained security guard, uh, self in no time. Much Don't appreciated, worry, love. By the time we're out of here, there won't be any undead in, left in the cemetery. Much appreciated, love, he says as he turns around, makes his way back into the security shack and pulls the door shut with such force and you can hear him latching it on the other side that it is obvious he won't come out for the rest of the night, not while he thinks there's ghosts on the prowl waiting to possess his body. Well, that's that taken care of. Um... Well, looks like we've got the entire graveyard to ourselves. Lucky us. So, I would like all of you to go ahead and make a wits investigate check. You're going to find Sun Sook Lee's grave anyway, but I'm going to ask for this roll to see how much time it takes. Because, you know, you don't want to spend most of the rest of the night trying to find this grave. True for me. Holy shit, I put a point in investigation. All right. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, Mitch got a bestial failure. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. Time to go Malky again. <laughs> a bestial failure is when you fail so hard it makes the beast yeah. go a bit nuts. Yeah. But Tig actually got two successes. Tig got two successes. Yep. Val, Bouncer. Uh, one success from me success yeah so you oh, fan out, uh, fan I, out. I got one i tried to reroll willpower and it stayed at one well you've got at least five so you've had a group pass so you fan out throughout the graveyard start wandering through the rows of headstones trying to make out the names in the moonlight there are some people who've been interred here since the 1800s. And in fact, if anyone has any history, they'd be aware of the fact that the very last elders 
of the Wutherong people, the last ones who were alive at the time of colonization, are buried in this exact cemetery. And this is why, Cross, as you search through the headstones trying to find Sun Suk Lee, you see flickers in the air around you. Places where the veil between the skin lands and the shadow lands are particularly thin. Thin enough that they might allow raids to pass through. They were called. And... Mitch... You're making your way alone down a row of headstones towards one at the very end of the row, right at the back of the cemetery, hiding in the shadow cast by the stone fence. It's a big, ivy-encrusted statue of an angel watching over the head rows, the, the headstones laid out beneath it almost like a guardian and something draws your attention to it some unseen force grips you forces you to stare into the obscured shadowy face of this angel and your beast murmurs in anticipation as you creep towards it, no longer paying attention to any of the headstones around you, not even aware of the fact that the rest of your coterie are carefully searching, calling out to each other, hey, hey, over here! Hearing Tig's voice, I found it! Over here! You creep towards the angel statue and it peers down at you and it almost, for a moment, appears to be alive. You stand at the base of the statue and suddenly a cloud rolls out from in front of the moon above and the moonlight beams down and illuminates the face of the angel. Tears of blood pour from its stone eyes as it peers down at you, its face locked in sadness. And then... Your beast yelps as the angel's mouth opens and it whispers its voice emanating in your mind. How many, Mitchell? How many worlds did you destroy simply by coming here tonight? How many lives have you left in tatters? simply by choosing to awaken this night. Your beast roars in terror. Your beast roars terrified and you lose control of your body as you instinctually recoil away. And a few seconds later, you take a breath your faculties return and the statue the angel lies crumbled at the at your feet in front of the stone base 
torn in two by your beast's instinctual terror. I'd like you to add a stain, Mitch, for defiling the dead. That's right. Meanwhile, Tig calls out again. Here! Over here! You all gather around to see Tig and Cross have both found the headstone they were looking for at the same time. The front of it is covered in moss and grime. The name very nearly faded away. It's clear that nobody has paid respects to Sun Sook Lee in a long time. And here she lies, her name just barely visible on the stone surface. Cross, you may do your thing. And Cross does its thing. Uh, yeah. We don't, I don't need to, um, if it's at the grave, I wouldn't need anything else to... No, you're at the grave. And the veil is uh, very thin here because some of the people who lie under the ground still carry the taint of colonisation. There are ghosts of lives unjustly taken lingering in the land here. So you may go ahead and make for me a rouse check. Which I passed which you pass, and all you have to do is whisper Sun's name, and she is there. And the veil is so thin that she appears to all of you as she passes through it, steps out into the skinlands, and all of you witness an unnaturally thin, tall silhouette of pure blackness silently rise from the patch of concrete in front of the headstone. She opens her mouth and speaks. The rest of you hear it as meaningless whispers tearing at the insides of your mind. But Cross, you understand what the Wraith is saying. Why do you call me? Why, after all this time? You know who stole me away. So why disturb my rest? Okay, uh, first before uh, the Cross talks to her... Um, one, would I, would it, would he, would it have seen what just happened with Mitch? And two, is um, Mitch with us? Mitch is, it's as the Wraith begins to talk that you see Mitch shuffling out from the shadows of another row of headstones. And Mitch is fidgeting, looking left and right, clearly disturbed by something. But none of you would have seen what Mitch did. Okay, uh, I don't think Cross would pick up. Mitch being disturbed, and after the last summoning, Cross would be turning to Mitch, uh, and it would say, uh, it's asking 
why we've put work in it. Um, you, you, were, you were pretty good at this last time. Well, what, what should I say to it to not make it uncomfortable? Mitch is just kind of like staring kind of blankly, like he's clearly still very disturbed by everything that happened and like chewing on his fingers. Not like his fingernails, like he is like gnawing on the ends of his fingers. So he has not checked into this conversation at all at the moment. Uh, okay, um, well, uh, yeah, you, you, you guys heard what I, what I said, right? Yeah. Whispers the wraith. Um. Why pull me from my sleep? Endless sleep. No harm. No memories. No body to bother me. Why do you bring me back to this land of pain? Um, we're right sorry to to do this, but we're trying to get the fella that uh, got you, and we we're hoping you could you could help with that. Some like odd evidence or something, a witness he didn't know about, or I don't really know. This is hard. These guys don't want to die, and if we don't catch this guy, they might. This is a chance to shut him down for good. The shadowy silhouette seems to take a step forward, stepping off the concrete onto the grass and as it draws closer to you the air around you drops (laughs) to near freezing if you were still mortal if you still breathed your breath would turn into fog on the humid wind the one cloaked in orange says the wraith A child, but not a child. The body of one young, but the mind of one older. My life, my life was deemed to be valuable, but not enough. Not enough. Killed. Killed because my life was considered cheap. Uh, this one isn't as cryptic, uh, and then Cross will relay everything it just said. A child, young, but not young. Young, yet old. Do you know how old? So close to death. So close to death. Born. Born. Seventeen. 17 plus 17 plus 17 plus 17 years. What's 4 times 17, guys? Hang on. 68. Uh, yeah. It, I think uh, Fuck. Barry Jr. is a yeah. lot older than he looks. I think he's 68. I wouldn't be surprised if he went into Sip Sip Parade 20 years ago and He's still a kid now, then. Whispers the wraith. Young, old, young, old, young, old. 
that is how he prays. They see him as young. He is old, older than they can fathom. They are not ready. Uh, okay, so uh, people underestimate him because he looks young. I think. That must be how they enforce their, um, their racket. Wait, how is he even led into a bar? She whispers. He deceives. 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 And when the deed is done, when the life taken, the blood, my blood, is tossed away. Buried. Buried to the white earth where it remains never found again what where is the white earth the white earth white white earth where white meets black string of white consumed by the black consumed by endlessness yeah, obviously Cross is relaying all of this. Does this mean anything to you guys? Um, does it sound like any geographical figures T- Tig would know? She could pres- She could be talking about the beach, Eastern Beach. Yeah, far Eastern from here. Beach is blood, yeah. Black water, white sand. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. Okay. Um. That, that tracks with what we know. Uh, could she show us where? She says that he buried her blood. I don't know if it's like a metaphor or... Yeah, Maybe could that's... you show us where? She whispers. At the furthest point from the blackness, where it rests in the other blackness, before the great rise. June or something? Overlooked by the shaft of an arrow. Yeah, Cross is relaying everything. Um... Arrow. Arrowhead? Oh, good. No, shaft of an arrow. Cross turns back towards the grave. The wraith is gone. The air immediately warms back up. As if somebody... As if somebody sucked it away in an instant, leaving you once again standing alone in the cemetery. Is this what it was like when you summoned Henry? Uh, actually, he was a little more cryptic. I think that was the first time I've ever actually seen a ghost. <laughs> you didn't, didn't like see, it, actually. You didn't see any? No, I... Uh, frankly, I thought you were full of shit. Oh. And uh, I think I have to apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, I owe my granddaughter for uh, an apology, because ghosts is real. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll end this session.
somewhere out there in the coastal sprawl that is downtown G-Town, the clock tower that hangs above City Hall begins to ring, its bell echoing through the darkness. Doom, doom, doom. Midnight of the second night. You're making some progress, guys. You've made a lot of progress. You pretty much know who did it. Just got to get the evidence. But there's more beneath the surface. More that you're only just starting to scratch at. You've got a night and a half left to go. Let's see if you can do it. Let's see if you can find the key undoing Barry's plan and staving off the blood hunt next time in Lords of G-Town.